Next up, we will be talking to Ahmed Rehor, Senior Site Reliability Engineer at Microsoft, and Julian Sorochi, SAAS Cloud Security Director at Oracle. Both guests are expert in their domain. Together, we talked about the different challenges software engineers encounter when working on small to large-scale development projects, from keeping the team in sync to mundane tasks such as debugging and working with a diverse team. We covered it all. Welcome to Software at On Design Talk. My name is Aradhika. And my name is Francisca. And today we are chatting with Ahmed Achshur and uh, Julian Sirochi. Ahmed, could you say a few words about your background and experience? I am a, a site reliability engineer in uh, Microsoft. I've been working uh, for SRE for quite a long time, for uh, more than 10 years now. And with DevOps mainly for even from my previous, uh, with my previous employer. Creating software for reliability is the main thing that I, I do. Julian, could you also please tell us a little bit about your background and experience? So I'm a computer engineer graduate. I have about 20 years overall of experience, worked in software development, uh, mostly building products and services, um, mostly JVM based solutions. Various different industries started with telecommunications, moved into banking, some gaming and retail. Keen interest in distributed systems and functional programming. That brings us to our first question uh, for you both. So you both are software engineers with a lot of experience designing and developing software. Um, if you were going to be the founder of a startup digital service, what do you think is the ideal team to create a product from scratch? I think a small team is some people, like six people mainly. There will be a, a need um, a product owner, UI designer, and someone to take care of uh, hosting and uh, security. It doesn't really matter what's the background. They should be from different backgrounds to make it successful. And uh, they should be uh, have a, a, growth, a growth mindset so that they can actually compete with the challenges to, uh, to make the product live. I totally agree with you. I think that it really depends on, on the product. Obviously, the, the mix of back-end, front-end, mobile developers or you know, data engineers you may want to have, but a team of six, seven, maximum 10 people, I'd say, in my experience, has, has been capable of doing wonders. Uh, you definitely want to have someone in that team that acts like the product owner mainly because you want to have uh, some guidance uh, when it comes to what goes into the product and when, what things do not end up in the product and why. And aside from that, then one in that small team to have as much diversity as possible in terms of uh, seniority. Obviously you want like lead backend engineers that are capable of coming up with a good design. And you also want to have somebody in the front end if you're building something customer facing with experience in, in building user experiences that are enjoyable. Thank you really much. And as you also mentioned the team structure earlier, what approach approaches have worked well for sharing or improving the knowledge and skills of people on teams you worked with? Like I, I think uh, there are many ways to share the knowledge. I, I think the best is to really invest on the um, infrastructure and the, the products that is actually uh, making people be able to connect with the knowledge. Like if you have a, a software like Teams where you have group chats and you have discussion groups where people can just go and 
like ask a question and have anyone uh, from the whole organization like responding to them and giving them the knowledge that you want um weekly sessions um uh, deep dive sessions live training is is really a good thing but i feel also people would learn uh, more when they make mistakes and learn from failures so um, investing time on code review will help engineers to learn more um, encouraging uh, senior engineers to uh, to start technical sessions uh, on performance and on uh, design uh, will help also engineers to learn more about the subject. Um, so it's, I mean, it's a mix recipe of multiple things that can help to share the knowledge. Yeah, and, and again, uh, in my experience, these things have worked uh, very, very well. I uh, like that budget put in place that is tied to each individual on the team. To, to enable the, the, the individual on the team to spend on whatever type of training, uh, book, conference, or um, any form of, of uh, sharing of knowledge that he or she prefers. And also, I believe that there is a value in uh, pair programming that sometimes is even more um, valuable than code reviews. Code reviews um, are an excellent tool to you know, uh, train individuals to make them aware of uh, better ways of solving a problem uh, from engineers that have, you know, maybe solved these problems before in general cast a, uh, another set of eyes on, on a given feature and the way it's implemented. But pair programming is almost an, an, an epidemic process. It um, allows people to um, learn by either driving a session with somebody with more experience or even sitting on a side and observing, you know, taking all on board and ideally and hopefully will enable them to uh, start pair programming sessions with other people. So it, in my experience, has been more viral than um, code reviews have been. Both of them are extremely valuable tools, I think, to disseminate knowledge. Uh, management tends to look at pair programming as a, a perception of an increased cost and a reduced velocity and delivery. You have a budget and you're supposed to deliver X amount of feature in uh, Y amount of time. And all of a sudden you have like half of your resources available to deliver on those. I've fought this battle for a substantial period of my career because I I have been, I guess, uh, blessed with being in uh, sessions, either driving or sitting on, on, the, on the passenger seat and um, found them extremely valuable. So any time I, I, I've been in a situation where I believe that some pair programming would help, uh, I fought the battle to try and convey the, or to try and settle the argument that the velocity of, of the team gets reduced by, by this. But generally speaking, that, that's my, my experience. It's, it's not common because people perceive it as a waste of time. I found also that um, the workload is quite high, <laughs> like for most of the teams, like it's, you have bugs, you have new features, you have sprint, you're under stress all the time. So to spare like uh, an hour to do the um, pair programming with someone else, you lose this hour from your time that you will use to finish your work items. There's always a stress and it's really hard to manage. If, if the stress is a bit maybe, like if, if it's really incorporated into the process, maybe people will do it. 
but because of all the um, agile stress, it really doesn't I mean, I don't see it fit much. I like I understand most like a lot of people why they don't really want to do it because of all the like uh, the rush to ship products or do fixes because there are so, there's always something else. If I may, um, it's it's an investment in uh, reducing the time it will take uh, to do it again in a few months down the line. To me, in my experience, that's that's most of of what what you gain with it. You gain a methodology, then you can add to the toolbox of you know methodologies and, and the rest of the things you, you'd normally do to actually reduce uh, the time to deliver uh, in subsequent iterations. It's just that the upfront cost is higher probably than a code review that can happen async and involve maybe 10 or 15 minutes of someone's time when you're sitting in, in one hour session with you know, some more junior guy and, and trying to walk them through a problem. Um, but I think is as effective, if not more effective. So it's, I guess, on us to, to weigh the pros and cons in, in every circumstance. All right. Uh, thank you. Uh, so could you talk about things you would do to help improve the environment in teams, focusing on the organizational or professional culture aspects of working in software? I, I find that one of the things that is needed the most is uh, for people to feel empowered to make their own decisions and also make them feel that it's okay to make mistakes. And this has a, an immense repercussion in the way you organize your team and, and how the organization is structured as a whole. Sometimes these things are actually conflicting and probably the best way to try and change how an organization is structured is by forming teams that are more aligned to the way you believe a product should be built because especially in big organizations the the top-down approach is is very common so streamline uh, execution remove uh, red tape um, empower people remove queues a very common pattern when dealing in uh, large organizations with multiple specialized teams to have uh, Jira tickets among teams. And I find that making the team autonomous as much as possible from inception to delivery as one of the, the key uh, ingredients for a successful team. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Julian, and would like to add that to emphasize and, uh, on the culture and to make the culture very clear to team members and make them believe and uh, feel that they own the, uh, the company more than to be like working here is what makes people really happy and willing to work their best. And, uh, you know, uh, Julian and Ahmed, you know, big companies, how they often encounter challenges in having many different teams in different locations, uh, perhaps in the same buildings or different sites and even countries. So how do you keep teams synchronized and on the same page and collaborating rather than conflicting with each other? We try to like, uh, we share the uh, same backlog, um, same uh, dashboard so that everyone knows what everyone else is doing. We, we have also some virtual teams uh, for some features. We make sure that the, these teams are recorded so that um, like the other team in the other country can really listen to them later on try uh, as much to make like weekly meetings to synchronize with the other teams and or bi-weekly meetings to make sure that we we share the same thing and then we run a, we run on trust and like 
it's not really harm to have uh, an overlap for as we uh, like we share the knowledge and like uh, we try to complement each uh, each other work. Yeah, so I I don't have much to add to, to what you just said, Hamid. I mean, probably just worth noting that we are in a special circumstance. Uh, we're in a pandemic, and nowadays, I guess uh, most of us, or at least the, the team I'm working in, is completely distributed. It's fully remote, and within the team, uh, asynchronous communication is uh, the norm. We have some uh, standups in the mornings to synchronize and to try and get all on the same page if things are getting out of hand or if uh, there's individuals on the team that need some kind of help or support. We are trying to minimize the um, synchronization points because it tends to then cause or, or provoke a kind of a ripple effect in the flow of execution. But when we do need to synchronize, we definitely want to do it in, in a way that is uh, visual so that people get to see each other and perceive what the others are thinking, what their, how their reaction is, and, and not because we're losing all of that in this current circumstance. And when it comes to cross-team mechanisms for synchronization or to be all on the same page, given that I was a proponent of, of the minimization of, of the uh, queues and, and Jira ticketing system and, and enabling everybody to be as autonomous as possible. The real synchronization points are on the guidelines on what we're trying to achieve as independent teams. So generally speaking, you can, I, it, it is my experience that you can get on the same page uh, with infrequent, but in depth, sufficiently in depth meetings uh, and uh, with up-to-date uh, documentation and probably with some form of a refined and, and up-to-date API that defines the boundaries between maybe two subsystems that need to interact with one another. Thank you so much. So now we will come to the last question. I can imagine that not all software design work is cool. Do people avoid dealing with the more mundane parts like bug fixes and administrative tasks? Do we need to make this part of digital more important, more appealing or not? I would try and minimize it as much as possible. So um, making it appeal is, is like the second thing we, we would want to do. If we can adopt tools that um, help minimizing um, the amount of bugs or mundane tasks that are needed, um, I think we're already halfway there. So I'm thinking about methodologies like uh, fuzzing in testing or property-based testing, using code that is correct by constructions. Obviously, it cannot be doing according or performing according to a specification unless you, you test it. But there is obvious corner cases that certain types of uh, tools can uh, avoid and pitfalls that certain types of tools can avoid uh, from, from the beginning. So, you know, adopting the right tools can help a lot. And then when it comes to maintenance and, and uh, avoiding, you know, people, uh, people's dislike for bug fixing, probably part of the solution stands in, in the actual setup again of, of the team. So if the individuals are responsible for everything from the design to the rollout and production of a system, then they will be automatically uh, wanting to ensure that what they're built 
is uh, running fine in production. And for all things that are related to uh, subsystems or components that individuals may not have directly uh, written themselves, uh, what works generally is, is some kind of a rota mechanism where everybody looks after every, everybody else's piece. I've seen it not work in many, many times, but when it does not, it's generally because people do not have any sort of connection with the, with the work that they're tasked to look after in production and to try and, and, and fix. Yeah, I'd like to add some points here. Um, like for the admin task, I feel that you just like, you find a way to automate them and they are, I mean, they're solved like, uh, there are like opportunities for some work that you, you need to do. And then once you automate them, you're done with them. But the most interesting part is how do you deal with bug fixes? And if you can provide some information about the bug uh, up ahead before anyone is actually investigating this bug, this is usually much appreciated. Like if you have telemetry where you can go and search this and find how often it, uh, this issue is happening and who is impacted. And then uh, out of that, you uh, assign some uh, priority to this bug and like if it's if it's uh, spiking then you have a, a major issue here and you have to really to take care of this issue in particular and lower the rest one of these one of these techniques is, is something that we use and it's very powerful also if you can most of the time um, software engineers are busy to create the software and like uh, uh, the new features if you have a sort of some engineers part of this team work as DevOps or SRE, then they'll be able to handle these bugs and make sure that they bring the, the, the most urgent one to the uh, software developers and work them to fix it. One of the, the, the things is to try to have uh, some uh, more analysis, uh, like, as I said before, have more information ready on the bug uh, so that you can better handle it. Like if you have a, a mechanism to go and check what what had changed in the last uh, 20 days in that cool path. And then from there, you might be able to spot uh, what could change it, uh, change created the uh, regression. There are many techniques, uh, it's just like trying to, as Julian said, trying to minimize them. That's the main objective. Um, all right, so uh, before we close the conversation for today, any last thoughts? There's a, a huge gap that we still need to, to fill in our industry. Um, we're in a profession that is a bit of a cross between art and uh, engineering. Uh, it, at least this is my perception of it. And um, I guess we, we have a long way to go and become a little bit more, more principled in the, the way we approach problem and problem solving. But it's, uh, it's an interesting challenge ahead of us. And with that, thank you very much for, for having us here. Thank you very much for having us today. And it uh, was a... Uh... Very nice discussion, Jolene. I really enjoyed the, uh, all the, these challenges and all these questions. Thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you all for listening. And thank you to the production team. Connor Fitzpatrick, Francisca Frida, Vladimir Kordonov, Aradika Nigam, and Christoph Steiner. This episode was produced with the support of Alan Higgins, and the UCD Michael Smurfit Graduate Business School. The intro and outro music was Bebop by Audiotonics.com. Thanks for listening.